0: Well, it's uh, great to uh, see you all again on this uh, last Sunday of this series, Christian or Disciple. Just one housekeeping item before we begin our message this morning. Um, I gave you a heads up last Sunday uh, because first service is like uh, vultures. Uh, there's so many of them and they kind of attack your refreshments. So there's usually none when you get here. And I, I didn't give them a heads up last week about the, my, the books in my office but you did, so some of you had a chance to go there last week. Uh, now, they did have a chance this morning, so the books might be not many left, but after the service, if you want to take a look at my library, anything that's in there is, uh, is for you to grab and uh, take with you, so, and the rest will be donated this week. I have uh, the ones that I have, I'm keeping. I have copies of the ones I want, and uh, so they're all yours if you would like them. Well, this is the final installment of uh, Christian or Disciple, and I want to thank you seriously uh, and from my heart for your overwhelming affirmation of this teaching. Uh, to me, I, I've discovered that this, and this is what I know about this church and what I love about you so much is that you truly want to be more than Christians. <laughs> you truly want to be disciples. And um, that's what we've been talking about for these, these seven weeks. So I want to give uh, just kind of a brief thumbnail sketch of um, where we've been to catch you up and uh, I want to I want to share a disclaimer as we start Um, one lady after I'll tell you in a minute what she said but uh, here's the disclaimer Um, some of you that are here today maybe you're new to the whole church Bible um, you know Christian thing and uh, some of you have been hurt uh, by the church or you've been hurt by Christians uh, they've said or done something to you that's been very hurtful. And I just want to say on behalf of all of uh, disciples around the world that we're sorry uh, that that happened to you. should never have happened. If, if Christ's followers would love as Jesus instructed, if, he w- if, if we would uh, give our lives away the way he instructed, uh, that wouldn't have happened. So we're, we're sorry. And, and here's another thing I want to say to you. Um, uh, give us another try. Give us another chance. Give us an opportunity to love you the way that Jesus loved you. Give us an opportunity to uh, show you the gospel through this message of love and care. And um, we just want you to give us a a second chance. So uh, that's for those of you who are new today, and we just wanna welcome you uh, together. So a brief synopsis, Christian or disciple. Um, We started this series recognizing that Christianity has a little bit of a, uh, a branding problem. Um, In fact, I wrote this paragraph, and I I, I shared it with you on the first Sunday, and I want to rehearse that today. Uh, This is what others think about you, okay? Not everybody, but a lot of people in the world, all over the world, think this about Christians in general. This is what they think. Christians are homophobic, judgmental moralists who think they are the only ones going to heaven, and they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Now, if you believe that, this may not be the church for you, (laughs) but a lot of people out there believe that of you. They believe that Christians are homophobic, judgmental moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven, and they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. That's our reputation. That's what people believe. So we've got to fix that. We've got to fix that branding problem. So um, after the first service... Uh, a woman came to me and she said, that, that paragraph that you read at the beginning of the message about the way Christians are, she said, that's what I've always believed about Christians. And she said, I, I, I loved the message today. And she said, I'm gonna come back and see if, um, even after you're gone, she said, and see if the people really believe what you said. Okay, so you guys are on the clock, okay? You know, I'm not gonna tell you who she is because it could be anybody. It could be the person sitting next to you right no, that's your wife. So anyway, so, anyway uh, that was amazing to me. She, this is what she's always believed about, Christianity. She gave us a chance, and she's going to come back uh, next week. For 2,000 years, we have defined Christianity by saying, if you are a Christ follower, if you are one who calls yourself a Christian, or you're part of Christendom, or... Uh, you know, you're part of Christianity, Uh, we've got this problem. And here's the problem. We don't know what the word Christian means. Now, you you, you have a definition. In fact, if I were to poll you, uh, every one of you would have a little bit different nuance on what it means to be a Christian. And just think about what the world in general, what the world thinks about Christians. And here's why it's so hard to define. The Bible doesn't define it. The Bible doesn't define it. The word Christian is used three times, and all three times, it's used in a derogatory way. Oh, you Christians, you know. But but Jesus used a completely different word, and the term he used was disciple. And a disciple now, now you can define Christian any way you want. I mean, um, Christians started, you know, were part of the Civil War on both sides. Christians did the Crusades, and killed people that wouldn't say they believe in God. Christians are on every side of a political argument, every side of a financial argument, every side of an uh, uh, educational argument. Christians are all over the map, and the reason being is you can define how, what a Christian is by what you believe. Well, I was born in the United States, therefore I'm a Christian. Well, I believe in God. I believe there's some uh, higher being up there, so I'm a Christian. I believe in America, so I'm a Christian. I believe in in God, so I'm a Christian. So all these things you can believe and label yourself a Christian, but a disciple? A disciple is a very narrow definition. A disciple is one who's almost scary in its intensity. The word disciple means literally that you will follow Jesus. What that means is that you will do what he says, you will speak the way he speaks, You will act the way he acts. You will follow him as your Savior and Lord. You will be a follower of Jesus. Now, the way I have personally defined that is this, and you've heard this before, but I want to remind you one more time. A follower of Jesus would say something like this. Now, in this area of my life, um, in this relationship that's very difficult, or this financial decision I have to make, which is really hard or what do I do with this guy at work that's really uh, picking on me, or what do I do about this person who hates me? So all of those questions you want to ask Jesus, because you're a disciple of his, and you want to do what he does. You want to say what he says. And and by the way, we know what Jesus says, because he says it in this book, and when you see this book, I want to ask you, you want to say what? Read Read your Bibles. That's right. If you're new here, you say, well, that was weird. No, it's not. This is the most amazing book. If you've never read it before, it's a life-changing, life-altering, life-transforming book. Read your Bibles. So, uh, but Jesus' words are here, so we know what he wants. So, so a disciple asks these questions. Jesus, what should I do about this relationship? I don't love my wife anymore. Uh, I want a divorce. Uh, what should I do about that? Or Jesus, I, I want to make a financial decision. I don't know if it's the right decision. Uh, What should I do? Jesus, this guy at work that's bullying me or hates me or a kid at school is bullying me, uh, I I, want to know what I should do. And and before you even can ask the question and before Jesus can even tell you the answer in your book, here's your attitude. Here's your attitude. My attitude is this. Yes. Whatever you say, Jesus, I will do. That's what a disciple is. Yes. You want me to stay in a loveless marriage, a marriage that I'm not finding, you know, satisfying... Yes. If that's what you want, I say yes. You want me to start giving a tithe even though I don't know where the money's gonna come from? The answer is yes. Before you even tell me what the answer is, I'm gonna say my response is yes. And a Christ follower says yes, yes, yes. I wanna speak like Jesus, I wanna act like Jesus, I wanna love like Jesus. The answer is yes, yes, yes. Now that is a lot more difficult than being a Christian. Anybody can be a Christian. You can do anything you want and call yourself a Christian. But a disciple is about how you love one another. And that's what Jesus said. He said, let me tell you uh, this narrow definition. Let me tell you how you can find, or how you can see when you, uh, whether or not somebody's a disciple. He said this in the Gospel of John. By this one thing, Jesus said. He didn't say by these seven things or by these 12 things. By this one thing, you will show you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Well, now that's kind of weird, right? Right? Um, I, I thought you had to, you know, go to church and pay your tithe and get baptized. And those are all good things. And those could show that you're a Christ follower. Although a lot of people have been baptized and don't follow Christ. A lot of people give money to the church and don't follow Christ. I mean, that's not... But, but Jesus made it very simple, very clear. He said, listen, by this one thing, not Christ plus Tithing, Christ plus baptism, Christ plus being a moralist, Christ plus having good doctrine, but Christ alone, love one another. That's what he said. He said, that's how you can identify a disciple. You see somebody walking down the street, if you see the way they're loving other people and loving their enemies, you can identify them because of their love for others. Now, Jesus said, okay, there's a difference between loving and behaving. Behaving's good, believing's good. Those are all good things. But loving is what he said is the number one thing. Out of everything, every, everything else comes from that. You start there. That's the default. That's the place where you begin. That's the place where you end. All of the other things, your convictions, your, uh, your de- uh, denomination, your uh, uh, theology, your doctrine, your conviction, all of those things are subservient to loving one another. And then, um, so the Pharisees. And you don't remember the Pharisees. They're, they're great. They're the religious people. They would be the people today that are religious that uh, do all the religious things. And uh, remember, in Christianity, we're different uh, than religion in terms of uh, who we are. Uh, we're not so much religious as we uh, confirm and affirm a relationship. That's what we care about. A relationship with God is infinitely better than religion because religion is a checklist of things you're supposed to do. A relationship is an intimacy with God. So we're talking about a relationship. So uh, the, the Pharisees never got that. They were so religious, all they could see is the the checkbook you know, the checklist, uh, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then maybe somehow kind of God might like you, you know, and, and, and Jesus came along and said, well, that, that doesn't work, okay, that doesn't work, so Jesus is talking, the Pharisees are always trying to trip them up, right, trying to trick them, and so here's what the Pharisees asked him, by the way, we're going to look in your Bibles in Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, turn there, Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, and then a little bit later, we'll go to Romans 13, so you can mark, uh, earmark that, so uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and and they're talking, and, and it's it's really it's really good. The Pharisees are saying, "Okay, how can we trip this guy up? Because he's he seems like he has all the answers, but we can trip him up. So we're going to ask him a question that nobody can answer. And here's the question they're going to ask him: What's the greatest, most important uh, law that there is? What's the what's the number one commandment?" Okay, so in their minds, here, here they have. So in their, their minds, they have the top 10, right? We have the top 10. That's called the Ten Commandments. That's the top 10 things that you don't want to do uh, or you do want to do and you don't want to do. And so those top 10. And then beyond the top 10, there were 600 other laws that were written to kind of confirm and support those top 10. So now we're at 610 laws. And everybody's going, okay, that's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, I can't even do the top 10, but I've, I've got 610 now. And then the, the, the Pharisees, the religious people, on top of that had thousands of laws, to explain the laws, you know, laws to explain the laws, to explain the laws, so somehow you won't stumble and fall, and so it was very confusing, and the religious people were the only ones that knew what these laws were, and so they were, the, they were the kind of the scorekeepers, okay, I'm doing all these, you're not, so you're bad, I'm good, and that was kind of the way they did it, so they're going to trip up Jesus, so he said, uh, what, what's the most important commandment, and so Jesus did what he always does so beautifully, he says, okay, I'll answer your question, now, the Pharisees might have thought, well, maybe he's going to go with one of the biggies. You know, murder's a biggie, right? So don't murder. I can, everybody kind of agrees on that. Adultery, yeah, that's a biggie. Everybody kind of agrees. So maybe he'll be one of the biggies, you know, and thinking, and if he does that, then we'll come back and answer this way. So, uh, so here's what Jesus says, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. He said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There, are no, there is no commandment greater than these. And then I, I would imagine Jesus would, might say something like that to the Pharisee, like this to the Pharisees. Hey, Hey guys, is there any way that this, what I've just said is ambiguous? <laughs> is there any way that you don't understand what I just said? Because in your mind you're thinking, big top ten, 600 thousands upon thousands pick out one that's the most important one. And Jesus said, "Listen, I want you to understand all those other things are subservient to this commandment. Love God and love each other." Now, here's another thing. He said, "You can't separate the two. Love your neighbor as yourself." He said, "The second is this. Love so the great commandment, love God, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater commandment greater Than these. In other words, the second is important as the first. How many people do you know, and maybe you've done this in your life, how many people you know say, well, I love God, but I don't love the church, right? You say, well, here's something I wanna say to you and I wanna say it with kindness and pastoral care. That's baloney, okay? You can't love God and not love his body. You can't love the head and not love the body. Now, granted, the body is leprous and it's warty, and it's a problem, and it's unclean, and it's all of those things. But God says, listen, you need to love me and love my people. That's how you know if someone is a disciple. We have to love each other. Um, um, Albert Camus, uh, uh, 19th century infidel, said this. Somebody was telling him about Jesus. He said, I would be a follower of Christ if he didn't drag his leprous body behind him. <laughs> is that a great quote? You know, I would be a follower of Christ if it weren't for the body of Christ, which is the church, you know, uh, uh, Christ followers, disciples. He said, but listen, Jesus said, no, you you don't divide those two. If you love God, you love people, and you love God's people. The second commandment is as important. Don't try the first one without the second. Now, 25 years later, Paul confirms this message. It's not like Jesus said, okay, that was Jesus, he was a nice guy. But Paul brings the hammer, right? And John later, you know, he's really good. James and Peter and all these New Testament writers, but they all said the same thing. Listen to what Paul said 25 years later, and John said the same thing 40 years later. Here's what Paul said, Romans 13, 9, and 10. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder. See, he kind of knows whatever he's thinking about the biggies, right? Uh, Do do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, man. So Paul's saying the same thing Jesus did. And 15 years later, John said the same thing that Paul said. And they're all saying the same thing. If you want to know, identify a disciple, you do it one way. Are they loving God? Are they loving other people? Jesus said, that's it. Everything else comes underneath that. These two great laws love God, love people. Everything else flows from and is subservient to every teaching that you've ever heard, every sermon you have ever heard, every what about this you've ever thought, everything about sex you have believed, everything about marriage, everything about race, everything about war, everything about any of these things are all seen through the filter of love God, love people. We got to get this. We got to make this the number one thing in our lives. So many times we make a judgment of somebody when we see them walking up to us or we see them over there. We make a judgment of them and we don't know anything about them. And the first place we should go is not a judgment or condemnation of their behavior or their lifestyle or their clothing choice. The very first thing should be, how can I love that person? How can I love that person? All of the prophets, Jesus said, hang on and are hinged to these two laws. Love God, love your your neighbor, and no excuses. Here's what Jesus would say. Do not dare use my law to unlove someone or to hurt someone. That's why bullhorn guy, placard guy never make any difference in the world. All they do is make people think that we're all that kind of guy. Don't you dare use my law to unlove someone or to hurt someone or to them someone. Oh yeah, them. All the law and prophets hang on this. Now last week, we brought to you the big idea that we want to fully develop today. The big idea was expressed in one question, and this is the essence of the entire seven week series, and it's this. What does love require of me? Now we're getting very personal. (laughs) Now it's no longer, oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, like Miss America, I'm gonna love the world and there'll be world peace. No, that doesn't work. You know, but here's the question that you need to face and it's not for your husband, it's not for your wife, it's not for your children, it's for you right now in this moment. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Now I wanna take, um, I did this in the first service and several people said that it was very important to them, so let me do it here. I wanna just take a minute and have kind of like a, um, a family meeting. You know how when your kids are in trouble, uh, you tell them we're going to have a family meeting, and the kids go, oh no, a family meeting. You know That means we're going to have something bad's going to happen. But this family meeting is different. Now, those of you who are new today or haven't been in the church very long, uh, you get to be part of our family today, right? Even if you're not. And so what I'm going to say, you can certainly receive, and uh, if you don't believe it, that's fine. If you do, receive. But here's, here's t- I want to speak to our family just for a moment. Because there's a couple things happening in our world a lot of things. The refugee thing. Um, see, we're not, we should not be saying, well, why don't those Germans do more? Or why doesn't the United States step up and do something? Here's the question you should be asking yourself. What does love require me to do? Now, we're going to give you some vehicles. Uh, I won't be around, but we've talked about this in staff already. Um, Maybe through Covenant World Relief, we're going to give you some vehicles to where you can help with this. So that's one of the issues we're talking about is those kind of very difficult things. But that was kind of easy to see. i say, what does love require of me with the refugees, okay? Uh, Now, here's a couple other points that you need to, that that are stirring up in my heart and stirring up in the world. One is this, politics. In the next year, um, all of you are going to be inundated with politics and politicians and statements and fighting and infighting and all of that. And some of you are going to be tempted to argue with your brother and sister in the pew because some of you are Democrat and some of you are Republican and some of you are independents and you have differences of opinion, justly so. Because what Christians can believe anything they want, right? Uh, But what I'm asking you to do is not just be a Christian. I'm asking you to be a disciple. So here's what I would ask of you. And another area that is really important in our world today is the whole same-sex marriage thing. Okay, that's hot everywhere in the world, and especially in Christendom. So I'm not going to answer that question. I can't answer that. I can tell you what I believe, but but let me tell you how uh, a disciple should respond to this. So in those areas and other areas, let me make three suggestions. This is for our family right now. The first question you always ask in any of those conversations is not, what is my conviction or what do I believe? The first thing that you ask of yourself is, what does love require of me? When I'm talking to somebody that doesn't agree with me and that they have a completely different philosophy, a different a way of looking at things, the first thing you do is not say, you know what, this is what's right. This is what I believe. Don't leave that aside. What does love re- In this moment, in this conversation, what does love require of me? Number two, I want you to, in every conversation, political, sexual conversations, uh, all of these issues, in every conversation, uh, I, I want you to do this one thing for me. Um, behave as if Jesus were standing next to you. The Jesus that we've been looking at these last seven weeks. The Jesus that says, nothing matters more than loving me, Jesus would say, and loving each other. Okay, Your politics do not matter that much. Your convictions do not matter that much. Not more than loving each other. So so ask the question, what does love require of me? And the second thing is... um, um, If Jesus were standing right there. And the third thing I want to say to you, and this is just a little family time, the third thing I want to say is this Save your greatest, biggest passion for Jesus. Do not waste your greatest passion on politics, do not waste your greatest passion on your convictions. Use your greatest passion for Jesus. Still have your convictions. I have a lot of convictions. Still have your beliefs. I have a lot of beliefs. But save your greatest passion for Jesus Christ. Okay, family meeting's over. You can now eat your dinner and uh, go on from there. Okay, let's get back to our message. What does love require of me? This is a game changer. Because I grew up like many of you where what mattered was the commands. And like I said last week, what we should be asking is, what is the heart of the commander? Not why did he give that command, or not this is the command, but why did he give that command and why did he do that so that we could live full lives? I mean, my inclination has always been, I mean, this is why I was raised. I was raised fundamentalist. My, incl- my inclination has always been to use this as a weapon. To, if you don't agree with me, to beat you over the head with it, okay? And to argue you, because I, I love apologetics. Uh, that means arguing for God. <laughs> and I love apologetics. You know, and some, but you know what? I'll say this. Of all the times I've used apologetics and argued for the kingdom, I've never, in that context, won anybody to Christ. Not once. But I've won hundreds to Christ when I've loved them. Hundreds when I've loved them. Okay. So, what does love require of me? See, before, uh, we, we always wanted, in the, the first 300 years of, 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 of uh, Christianity, or of Christendom after Jesus was here, everything was always done through love. The gospel was presented through love. The redeeming power of Jesus, uh, giving that to people was done through love. And they always ask the question, what does love require of me? Then in the fourth century, they got organized the Holy Roman Empire, all that stuff. And now it's no longer, what does love require, but who believes like I do? And if you don't believe like I do, I'll start the crusades. If you don't believe like I do, I'll crush you. If you don't believe like I do, I'll kill you. Power over. Jesus always was power under. What does love Require. So I want to give you some teaching um, that Jesus, the, why Jesus made this so important. <laughs> this is extraordinary. This shows you why Jesus was such an amazing teacher. It's just brilliant in his teaching when you think about this. Okay, why did Jesus talk about love so much? Here's here's why. In all of your relationships, parents, children, grandchildren, friends, co-workers, you know, acquaintances, enemies. People that hate you, people that you hate, all of your relationships, you have been profoundly affected by them in one of two ways. One way, by those who have hurt you. The other way, those who have loved you. All of those relationships that you had, when you've had somebody that has hurt you, and some, I know some in here, I know your stories, some of you were hurt as children, and um, we have great empathy and sympathy. That's why we have Mending the Soul. That's why we have Ava. We have ministries in our church to help. But people that were hurt, it changes the trajectory of your life. It ch- listen, it changes the trajectory of your life. You say, well, I'll just get over it. Nope, it doesn't work that way. It changes the trajectory of your life. People that have hurt you have changed the trajectory of your life. And here, here's the other side. People that have loved you profoundly have changed the trajectory of your life, more so than their doctrine, more so than their religion, more so than how what they believe. All of those things may be good, but you are greatly affected by those two things, people that hurt you and people that loved you profoundly. Let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, when we were in San Diego at Mount Miguel Covenant Church, uh, Sherry and I had a neighbor, her name was Carolyn, and she had a son, Christopher, who was our son Tyler's best friend. They were buddies. They were in kindergarten together, uh, five years old. And she was our neighbor, we got to know her, but she, we'd invite her to church and, no, no, no thanks. Okay, Christopher would go to Sunday school with us, but she didn't wanna to go to church. Finally, uh, we were able to, she trusted us enough to tell us her story. She said, I was raised in a missionary, I'm an MK. I was raised in a missionary home. My father was the head of this entire missionary convention. If I told you the name of the organization, you would recognize it. It's very, it's world famous. And back then, this was back in the early 80s, he was the head of this missionary convention, had thousands of people under him. She said, from the time I was um, two years old until I was 17, my father sexually abused me. All the while, going all over the world, telling people about the love of Jesus. All the while doing everything he could in his power to, to, to reach the nations and the worlds and the, and the people for Christ. And at home, he was a monster. Now, how much of his theology do you think affected Carolyn's life? Zero. How much of his actions, his either hating her, and by the way, that is the, most, that is the worst, right, Yvonne, hateful act that you can commit? Hating her or loving her? Which do you think profoundly affected her? Her father's good doctrine? Her father's good standing? His good deeds in the eyes of the world? No. She had a trajectory of her life that was like this from the time she was a little girl, and it was not her fault. It was because somebody hated her. It was because somebody hurt her. On the other side, I had a pastor, Pastor Woodhouse, from the time I was nine years old until I went to college. He was my pastor. And Pastor Woodhouse was a dreadful preacher. Ask Sherry, dreadful. He was called what we do, helicopter preaching. You know, that's where you go up and just hover. You have nothing to say, you're just hovering. You know, you're just, just talking. And, was a, and besides that, he had very questionable theology. I mean, the guy was a mess. He was a mess. But let me tell you, he, have, he profoundly affected my life because he loved me. He loved me, and I knew it. He told me, and he showed me, and he said, Dwayne, someday I think you're gonna be a preacher. No, I'm gonna be an engineer like my dad. "Mm, Someday you might be, he affected my life. He he didn't have good theology. He he wasn't a good pastor, but he loved me. Your life has a trajectory because of people who have hurt you and people who have loved you. Why do you think Jesus made such a big deal out of the most important thing in the world? Love God and love people. You do that and you're going to set people's lives on a trajectory that is positive and growing and beautiful. Isn't that wonderful? And here's the deal. If you hurt people, you do just the opposite. Some of you this morning, even as I was talking that time, felt something in your soul. You say, that's me, I my life's trajectory has not been good because I have been hurt. Or my life trajectory has been great. I remember a, 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 a coach in high school. Uh, he was a freshman football coach. And he wasn't a believer. He wasn't uh, a Christ follower. But I remember two things about him, how that he, um, uh, he loved me and how that he told me that I was good. And to this day, Armin Maynard, his name was, to this day, I'm sure he's long gone to be with the Lord, but to this day, I I hear his voice and he spoke something to my life that changed the direction of my life. That's how much it matters. Whether you love somebody or hurt somebody, that's how much it matters. Your theology can be great and hurt somebody and it's meaningless. Your theology can be lousy and love somebody and you can make a difference in somebody's life. When we do it, we find ourselves in a brand new world. Reputation of Christ's followers will change when the church changes, when we begin to love people and we have a brand new worldview that we ask the question every time, every moment every day, every month, of our wives, of our husbands, of our fathers and mothers, our children, our co-workers, we ask the question, what does love require of me? When we're looking at someone eyeball to eyeball, if they have a different lifestyle, a different color of skin, a different educational background, a different moral standard, when we look at them eye to eye and say, "Uh, what does love require of me in this moment? We ask the question, well, why did Jesus treat people differently? Why did one time, you know, a rich young ruler came to Jesus in John 3 and said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell all your valuables, because he was rich, and give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible is the one that follows that. It says that the young man turned and walked away. Jesus came him, so, so why was Jesus so hard on him? Because another place in the Gospels, uh, another rich young ruler, different guy, came to Jesus and said, what, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus said. He said, you're this close. Take a little tiny step of faith, you're, you're almost there. <laughs> why, why were they different? Why did he behave differently towards them? I'll tell you why. Jesus knew their heart. He knew their heart. And before you make a judgment or condemnation of anybody, Know their heart. How, do you, how can you do that? I wish we were Jesus and we could have x-ray vision and see people's hearts. But here's how you do it. You get to know their story. You know, before you judge somebody, you get to know their story. You figure out what's going on. You know, how many times have you seen somebody, somebody's irritated you, uh, somebody's made you angry, and you know that person or, you know, that kid with his pants below his waist, you know, and that, you know, that, and, then you've, and then you get to know them somehow and you hear their story. Oh, then you have compassion, right? Well, Jesus had compassion. The woman uh, taken in adultery, you know, I, I, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But the, but the Pharisees, he yelled at them, you whitewashed sepulchers, you idiots, you know. What's the difference? Jesus knew their heart. Before you make a judgment, know someone's heart. That's what love requires. That's what love requires. So uh, there was this, uh, some of you remember Todd, Todd Thompson he was with our church in the first maybe five or six years of our existence, and and Todd was a, a great guy, and he went moved to Texas. And Todd was a writer, and uh, he wrote in one of his articles about this experience he had at Chase Field. It was then Chase Field instead of, actually, well, it's Chase Field now. Now it was Bank One Ballpark back in the day, uh, Bob. And he went there. He was selling goods in one of the stores at a D backs game. That's what his job was. And so he's selling stuff, and there's a long line, and people are getting irritated and testy. And he sees back about five customers. There's this girl, a teenage girl, and she's goth, okay? All black, metal everywhere, you know, the hair weird, you know, and all of that. You know, if you've seen our guys today wearing black T-shirts that were at men's retreat, these guys are all goth, okay? Not really. Okay. So, so here's this gal, and he's thinking to himself, oh, great. You know, I'm going to have to deal with this, you know, weirdo, you know. So he's thinking, so she comes up, and she steps up, and uh, the first thing she says, she said, "You know what? Um, you, you're you're being really nice to these customers because they're being mean to you. They're being they're short tempered." And he looks at her. He says, "Oh, well, well, thank you." And he said, um, "How can I help you?" She says that, and uh, they had a nice little conversation. And he said she was the most delightful, the sweetest, kindest uh, teenage girl. And in their little conversation, uh, he, he asked about her. He said, well, uh, you know, I'm having, to learn, I'm having to learn to be patient myself because my mother is uh, going through cancer treatment. She's going through chemotherapy, and it's really been hard in our family. And she said, I've just, I've just been learning really to trust God. And Todd goes, oh, you idiot. Todd, Todd, you idiot. You made a judgment of this girl by what she wore. How shallow is that? by how she behaved. How ridiculous is that? Jesus made it very clear that we are not saved by our behavior. Okay? Have good behavior. I commend it. It works a lot better than the opposite because sin always has a what? A gotcha, okay? So behavior's okay, but you're not saved by your behavior. You're saved by God's grace, which is all about the love of God that he has for his children, and he wants us to live the same way. Love God. Love people. Make that the very essence Your life. So, three things. I want to just wrap this up. Three things that kind of help you clarify this truth about loving God and doing it because two trajectories. When you hurt someone, you send them on a trajectory. When you love someone, you send them on a trajectory. Uh, Three statements to clarify this truth. Number one, don't do anything that will hurt you. Number two, don't do anything that will hurt someone else. Number three, don't be mastered by anything. That sounds very simple, but let me tell you what I think that means. Don't do anything that will hurt you. Why? Because you can't do anything that hurts you that doesn't hurt Jesus. If if you hurt you by your addiction, by your sin, by your brokenness, by the way you live your life, if you hurt you, you hurt Jesus. That's how much he loves you. So, as, as a parent, I get this, right? Anytime my child was hurt when they were growing up, it hurt me deeply. So, so here, here's what you need to look at. Every moral, ethical, sexual, professional, relational decision that you make that hurts you, it also hurts the one that you love and the ones that you love. It hurts. When you hurt yourself, you hurt others. Number two, because what I said earlier, sin always has a gotcha. Always. There's always a gotcha. Number two, don't do anything that would hurt someone else. Why not? Because that person that you're hurting is a person that was created by God. That is a person that God loves. You need to understand it because we're still trying to figure out this thing, well, how can I love somebody that doesn't love me or how can I love somebody that hates me? Okay, God says, listen, that's what I've done. (laughs) You do it. Don't do anything that would hurt someone else. And the third thing is this, don't be mastered by anything. Now, As you know, I am a gambling addict. I haven't gambled in 17 years, but I'm a gambling addict. I've I've got that in me. Um, And and here's what I want to say to those of you who let anything master you like I did. And that's all of us at some levels, right? Why not be mastered by anything? Because whenever you're mastered by something, it keeps you from loving someone. Whenever you are mastered by something, it keeps you from loving someone. Let me say it this way. No one should have to compete with your alcohol. No one should have to compete with your porn. No one should have to compete with your gambling, your prescription drugs, your anger, your self-righteousness. No one should have to compete with that. Refuse to be mastered by anything because there's only one master and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is jealous for you. Don't be mastered by anyone. Now, some of you have gone here. Some of you have said, you know, uh, I'm so glad my husband's here. Bree's saying that, I'm so glad Matt's here today. <laughs> Bree, no, this is just for you, right? This is just for you. Uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna have my son listen to this online when I get him. no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. This is for you, this is for you. What does love require of you? When the church leverages anything other than love, we lose every time. We've been losing for 1,700 years. And again, we wanna say we're sorry that we have not loved you. Those of you who are not outside of Christ, those of you who are not Bible people or church people or Jesus people, we are sorry we have not loved you the way that Jesus loves you. Once upon a time, there's a handful of Jesus followers that only had one thing. They had the gospel of Jesus Christ, the profound knowledge that the redeeming love of Jesus was available for all human beings and that gospel was to be given to all people. Jesus made that clear when he left. All people, Matthew 28, all people, Acts chapter 1, all people. And these early disciples had this gift, this pearl of great price, this gospel that was their possession, and it was also to be given away. And they gave it in only one way, and that was through love. They had no other power, no other leverage. They gave it through love. The simple, Profound truth. Love God and love one another. So I imagine uh, people in Chandler, Gilbert, Mesa, Levine, surrounding communities coming to our church they're kind of peeking in, not really knowing what to expect, kind of looking in, looking over the edge and looking at people at Hope Covenant Church and saying, Man, I see the way that Matt loves Bree. That's different than other marriages I've seen. I, I don't quite understand that, but, um, and I understand what it has to do with Jesus, if anything, but here's what I do know. I, I want that. Oh, I, I see how these people are so generous with their money at Hope Covenant Church. I mean, are you kidding me? A congregation of 500 people paying down a debt of $600,000 in three years? That's, a, that's, a, that's unheard of. I, I see how they're so generous. I, I don't really understand. I don't get that tithing thing, and I don't know all about but, but, but here, here's what I do know. I, I want that. I want that for I don't know if it has to do with Jesus, or what, but I want that. I, I see the way these students go to school. In fact, they're not the ones bullying. In fact, they're the ones that are defending those who are being bullied. And I, I don't know why they're that way or why they behave that way, but I, I want my teenagers to be like those teenagers. Jesus said, See how they love one another. If you want to know what a disciple is, take a look at whether or not they're loving God and loving each other. And when you do that, we'll transform the world. You know this, you can't preach or legislate world change or morality. But when our love is so attractive that it draws people to the edge of Hope Covenant Church and other churches, and they see these words in action, see how they love one another, it becomes irresistible. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we want to be irresistible disciples. We want to be an irresistible church. We want people to peek into these rooms, to peek into our homes and say, man, I... I don't. I don't know how they got to where they're at, but that's what I want, because I see how profoundly those husbands love their wives and those wives love their husbands. I see how those Christ followers at Hope Covenant Church love their enemies. I don't understand how that's even possible, but I see it. I see how that they don't. They're not making judgments and condemnations based on somebody's lifestyle or how they live or what they do, but they're just loving them. I, I don't understand that, but. But I want that because to me it's irresistible. Father, that's what we desire to be. Your children have this amazing love for each other and for the world outside of us just like you did. And when we do that, Lord, we believe that the world will be changed. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.